Good morning, choir. You did a good job this morning. Good to see you. Happy Sunday to you. I hope you've had a good week. Doesn't the sunshine look good? Amen. I'm telling you the truth. It's just been a beautiful weekend. We praise the Lord for it. But you know, the sunshine just helps us better appreciate the rain. Amen. The rain helps us appreciate the sunshine. God knew what he was doing when he gave us four seasons of the year, just like he does in the seasons of life. Each one has its challenges. Each one has its joys. And we're grateful. It's good to see you today. I hope and pray you had a good week. Uh, Brother Sammy, good to see you and Miss Judy. Thank you for bringing that good report from uh, Phil Campbell. And I appreciate this church and the other churches who joined together in helping them uh, to rebuild. And uh, he's doing something right to be there 35 years, I'm telling you. I sat there thinking, that's a, that's a wonderful milestone. And I appreciate Brother Sammy so much. Well, as I told you last Sunday, the, stock, the clock starts running when I get up here. So take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 is our main text that we want to look at today. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the honor of God's word, let's stand as we read it together, would you please? I'm reading from the, King, the New King James Version. You may have a different version, but you follow along as we read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested in us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments, we humble ourselves before you. We pray for the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit as we proclaim and preach the gospel. We pray that your Holy Spirit, may our Lord, would take charge of this service as you already have in the music portion. And now, Lord, that your spirit may rest upon every hearer. And that as your word goes forth, that it will not return unto you void, empty, but it will indeed accomplish the purpose whereunto you send it, that you may indeed prosper it in our hearts. We thank you and praise you. Now may the meditations of our heart, Lord, be acceptable in your sight is our prayer in Jesus' strong and saving name. Amen.
I want you to think with me on the subject this morning. In this second sermon in this series, three things every person ought to know. Three things every person ought to know. Last Sunday, we looked at the preeminence of Christ. And we saw that Christ is to be number one in the Christian life, in creation, and in the church. And today, we want to follow up that idea with that better understanding of the salvation in which Jesus Christ brings to us. Three things every person ought to know. In the epistle of 1 John, if you were to read the entire epistle, if my mathematics is correct, you will discover that he uses the word know, K-N-O-W, 37 times. Now, anytime you read the scripture and you see a word that reoccurs that many times, the writer is letting you know that is one of the theses, that is one of the main points he's trying to get over in the message. John had three favorite words when he wrote. He wrote the word life, the word light, and the word no. Those are three words that he uses in the five books of the Bible that he authored. First, second, and third John the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. And when you read all five of his books, you'll find these three key words. They're words that he constantly went back to. Life, light, and know. And so in this first epistle, he emphasizes this word, know. John is saying there are some things we ought to know. Not guess about, not think so, not maybe so, not guess so, but know so. Things we ought to know. Not just Christians ought to know, but every person in this world ought to know these three things. What are they? First of all, every person ought to know that he needs to be saved. Every person in this world needs to have the knowledge and the understanding that they need a Savior. Why? Because they're lost. According to the teachings of God's Word, we're born with a sin nature. All of us are sinners. John says here in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Jesus a liar and his word is not in us. Now I'm here to tell you Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is the truth of God. He is the living word who authored the written word. And when you read the Bible, you're reading the words, the very words of God. And he does not lie because he cannot lie. He is truth. And so John tells us, if we say to ourselves or try to some, let someone else convince us that we're not sinners, then we're not facing up to the truth that the Bible declares. Now, so we will understand this very clearly. This is not the only verse. If it was, that's all you need, one verse, to let us know that we're all sinners. But the Bible repeats this theme and this point over and over again so that every person might know, according to the Scriptures, that they are sinners, they are lost sinners, and they are alienated from a fellowship with God in that condition. 
Here's what he says, Romans 3, 10 and 12. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Listen to Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned, not some, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word sin that, John, uh, that Paul uses in that text in Romans is the Greek word hata, and it means missing the mark. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Picture, if you would, a target with a bullseye in the middle. Any hunter in this room or anyone who likes to play darts or shoot a gun if you're shooting at a target, you know the goal to really prove, man, you're something and you're hot is to hit that bullseye right in the middle. If you do that, that proves you're a pretty good marksman. Well, John, Paul, in this text, when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is telling us all of us have missed the bullseye. We have all fallen short of God's intended glory because of our sin. There was only one man who came and hit the bullseye of God's glory, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. All the rest of us have fallen short because of our sin against God. Then Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, that death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Why do people die physically? Because we're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. The price tag for us sinning against God was eventually physical death. That's why there's so much suffering in this world. It's because we are living in a sin-cursed world, and listen to me, it wasn't God's fault. We're the ones, our first parents, Adam and Eve, listened to the voice of the devil when they should have listened to the voice of God. And sin entered the human race, and Paul is saying once sin entered the human race, death always follows sin. It's the penalty, it's the price tag for one who sins. And so death like sin, has passed upon the whole human family. And God, when he saw that, couldn't leave us in that condition. Praise God. He couldn't leave Adam and Eve in that condition. He came, killed an innocent animal, took the skins to replace their fig leaves and covered them with an innocent animal, the blood of an innocent animal. It's the first, it's the first picture we see of the cross and the blood of Jesus in the Old Testament. Their fig leaves, their make-to-do covering wouldn't do because they made it. And you see, there's a lot of people in our world today who are still turning out fig leaves. They're trying to cover their sin in their own way, not God's way, and it never works. And God said to Adam and Eve, those fig leaves will not get it done. So he took the blood of an innocent animal, took the skin, and he clothed them with 
a clothing, a covering that he provided. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a beautiful picture of what salvation is and the righteousness of Christ. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, came upon the scene and he died at Calvary. And Jesus took the blood of his own son and covered us with it that we might be forgiven of our sins. The just one dying for the unjust ones. And in God's sight, that's what makes us holy. That's what makes us acceptable in his sight. That's what gives us right standing with God. Because you have to ask this theological question, how can sinner man ever be in fellowship with holy God? Our sin separates us from God and that, that wall of partition of separation had to be removed in order for man's fellowship with his creator for it to be restored. There had to be a way, and so God made a way when he sent Jesus. And he took the blood of his only begotten son, and he applies it to your sin and my sin, and forgives us of every sin we've ever committed, and cleanseth us so that he can use us in his service as a holy vessel in the service and the kingdom work of God. And you see, every person in this world needs to know that. But I'm telling you, a lot of people do not know that today. They have their own religion, yes, but their religion doesn't teach them what the Bible of Christianity teaches them, that they are lost, they are under the condemnation of the law of God, and until they're born again or saved or rebirthed, they will die under the condemnation of God's law. God sent his son to bring grace, to deliver us from the penalty of the law. The law was given us to show us that we are sinners, but the law couldn't save us. So the law has to escort us over to grace. What the law could not do in all the law, the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Commandments can do is show you and me that we're sinners because we've broken the commandments. When I look in the mirror of the Ten Commandments, I understand, oh, I'm a sinner because I've not kept God's law. So the law helps me to understand that I'm a sinner, but the law cannot redeem me. It doesn't have the power. So law escorts me over to grace because only grace can do what the law couldn't do. It's by grace that we're saved. It's by the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God that we find right standing with the Lord. Both have their place. The law helps me to see my need of salvation. Grace provides me salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody ought to know that they need to be saved. The old black preacher was right when he said, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved. And he was exactly right. What he meant by that is, you got to help a person to see that he's lost before he'll ever understand his need to be saved. And sometimes that's what we have to, that's exactly where we have to start when we're witnessing to somebody, is to help them to understand their need of a Savior, Christ the Lord. Secondly, 
Every person not only needs that he needs to know that he needs to be saved, but every person needs to know that he can be saved. That's good news. That every person needs to know that he can be saved. Turn with me in your Bible to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans and look at two verses there, verses 18 and 19. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Again, Paul writing says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, that is his sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. In other words, because Adam and Eve sinned, we made the same choice. We've sinned. Judgment has come upon all of us, and therefore resulting in the condemnation of God because of the law. That happened when the first Adam came. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulted in justification of life. The first Adam, Adam in the garden, brought sin upon the human family because of his failure. And because we're in the family, the human family, we've all inherited a sin nature. And so by one man, this is what Paul is saying, by one man sin entered into the world. Also by one man, Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin nature and our sin. He brings righteousness through his own life and justification. He says in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteousness, righteous. I today have a righteousness that gives me right standing with God, but it's not a righteousness of my own making or my own produced by my own good deeds or my own good morality. It is a righteousness that has been given to me. The word that the Bible uses is imputed. It is an imputed righteousness it's the righteousness of one that's been applied to another. And Christ Jesus has the righteousness, the only righteousness that holy God can accept. And so when I received him as my Savior, invite him into my heart when I was at age 12, and ask him to forgive me of my sins, he came into my heart right then, forgave me, and washed me in his blood, and robed me in his own righteousness and that's what gives me right standing today before God it's the righteousness of Christ that was given to me that's what Paul is saying through one man disobedience came through one man's keeping the law righteousness came in order that we might have a righteousness that God has helped that's what Jesus meant when he said except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees you cannot enter the kingdom of God even the righteousness of a righteous Pharisee was not enough. Paul, who wrote this very verse, was a righteous Pharisee. He said of himself, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born in the law, had the covenants, kept the law. And see, they believe, and even to this day, that keeping the law will provide a righteousness, and because they're children of Abraham, that gives them right standing with God. Jesus told them right to their face, unless your righteousness exceeds greater than that of the Pharisees, 
You shall not enter the kingdom of God. You've got to have a righteousness that is even greater than what the righteous Pharisees thought they had. Now, where do you get that kind of righteousness? Through Jesus Christ. And that's what he was trying to help them to see. They had to have a righteousness that exceeded even their own. It wasn't a matter of just keeping the law. It was a matter of letting the law of God be written on your heart. Everyone ought to know that he can be saved. The Bible teaches us in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want peace? Then find Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and invite him into your life, and he'll bring the peace of God. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, when a person is saved... They are moved out from under the condemnation of the law of God. And they are brought into a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, for the born-again person, there is no longer any condemnation because of his sin. He's been removed. Paul put it that way. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then John three sixteen, That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then listen to this verse, 1 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not willing that any should die and go to hell or perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hear me this morning. It is the heart of God for every person to be saved. He died on an old rugged cross to provide salvation for everyone who will believe and accept his sacrifice upon their, on their half, on their part. You can be saved if you will turn to Christ. Everyone ought to know that he needs to be saved. Everyone ought to know that he can be saved. And lastly, every person ought to know that he is saved. You say, Brother Mike, do you mean to tell me that I can know for sure without a doubt that I'm right with God that I'm saved absolutely turn in your Bible right there where you are 1 John the 5th chapter and look at two verses or 11 through 13 one of the great verses of assurance in our Bible 1 John chapter 5 verse 11 and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, look at this, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. How can I know for sure? Very simple. I mean, this is not rocket science. If you have the Son, Jesus, you have everlasting and abundant life. If you don't have Jesus... 
You do not have abundant life now that he wants you to have, and you will not have or do not have eternal life. That is life in heaven. You'll still live in eternity, but you won't be in heaven. You're going to be down below. And it's that simple. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son does not have life. These things we have written that you may know that you have eternal life. Now the only question you've got to answer this morning is this. Do I have Jesus? Or do I do not have Jesus? Do I have Jesus? Not talking about baptism, membership, good person. One answer to that question. All those things are important, but they won't get you to heaven. Do you have Jesus? Has there been a time, is there a time when you can go back into your life and remember when you gave your heart to Jesus? You may not remember the date nor the time, but you remember the experience. I know when I was a child, when I was a young adult, when I was in a foxhole in Europe, I cried out to God. And I asked him to forgive me and save me and come into my heart. I tell you, if you did that and you believe that, and God has confirmed that through your life, even to this day, you're born again, you're saved, you have the Son. But listen to me very carefully, because you cannot be confused on this issue. There's too much at stake. Now, and in eternity. If you cannot go back to some point in your life and honestly say, I don't ever remember, ever remember asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins and praying to him to come into my life and forgive me and committing my life to him. I can't ever remember doing that. Then the chances are pretty good that you've never been saved. You do not have the Son. You may have church membership. You may have religion. But you don't have the thing that counts. And that's Jesus. And that's where so many in our world are so confused today. And that's why every person ought to know these three things. That he needs to be saved. That he can be saved. And that he knows for sure that he is saved. And God has chosen us preachers to proclaim it and tell the truth to people. And I've come to tell you the truth of God's word. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I've tried as best I know how to make your word as simple and as clear as it is written. But this is a work of your spirit, not of us. We're your mouthpiece this morning, 
You have used us to communicate the truth of your word, I pray. But now, Lord, the people must respond to your spirit that's moving in their heart and maybe cleared up a very important matter in their lives this morning. They may be standing right now saying, I've been to church, I've joined the church, I've been baptized. Or maybe they haven't done any of those things. But they're being honest with themselves and they're being honest with you. And they've looked at their lives and they can honestly say, Lord, as far as I know, there's never been a time when I've asked you to save me and forgive me. And I want to do that this morning. I want to leave this church with the peace of God in my heart and the knowledge that I'm saved and when I die, I'll be escorted by the angels of heaven into the presence of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help them to know they can know that for sure before they leave today. What do they need to do now, Lord? Help them to see that all they need to do is to call upon the name of the Lord in faith, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but not only believing with their head, trusting with their heart. Help them to come now and register their decision by taking Brother James by the hand or me by the hand and simply say, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Lord, help them to know that we'll pray with them right now. They think they make that commitment. In fact, they can pray this prayer right now, Lord, and then just come and tell us they've made the prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've not kept your laws. I ask you to forgive me of my sins against you. And as humbly as I know how, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart and I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins and save me. I trust you to do it according to your promises in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.